0: Welcome to Financial Therapy. I'm your host, Jay Monica Jones, and I'm a financial therapist. I'm the therapist you go and see with your bank account. I help people navigate this sometimes tumultuous and tricky relationship. Subscribe now to Financial Therapy and keep up to date with the latest episodes. And go to financialtherapy.org for bonus resources to get you being better with money. One of the key components of working with people in the therapeutic setting is getting my clients to open up about them and money in a very in a very open way, in a very real and authentic way. Courageously and little by little speaking about their personal story and their experiences. And so I feel it's appropriate that as we embark on the financial therapy journey together that I give a little bit about my own financial history, my own relationship with money, which I believe is important that we share more and more about how we are with money so that we can unpack and maybe give a little bit of sunlight to this aspect of our lives that is often very hidden and not talked about. You know, I often say that talking about money in a Frank and open way is the last taboo, except maybe death and that conversation about money and death I'll be doing at a later stage. Yeah, there's so much darkness and there's so much shadow around money. And if we can kind of open it up in ourselves, be objective, be curious rather than judgmental, then maybe we can shift this relationship. So as I started this conversation, I think it's important that you get to know a little of my own financial story, my own money story, so that this conversation is not so one-sided so that I can um, step back from being the expert and being an individual with my own challenges and my own difficulties and stories and highs and lows around money. Well I suppose it starts really way back in my childhood. I came from a wealthy middle-class family. We lived in a really lovely suburb in Sydney, Australia. I went to private school. Most of our holidays were having ski holidays. We lived pretty well. My father was a lawyer and my mum for most of my childhood was a stay-at-home mum. That was in a period where both parents didn't have to work which is certainly different to what we have today. I was the youngest of five girls. Having my father being a lawyer, he was a very intelligent man, and I think he really inspired us to follow that kind of academic pursuit. Most of my sisters, when they left school, went to university. But for myself, I was really challenged at school. I was very unfocused. The only place I really thrived at school was in drama classes and acting classes, which I loved to a passion. But as far as any academic pursuits, I was pretty terrible. I felt terrible at maths, and I still am terrible at maths. And yeah, just couldn't focus in a way, just didn't have that sort of what it took to actually do well at school. So unceremoniously, it got to a point that I left school, the Principal of the school contacted my parents and said, look, you know, Jane's not really thriving in this environment. Maybe it might be time for her to go. So I left school and, you know, my ideal in my own head was is that somehow I would follow acting. But understandably, my parents felt that a career like acting, maybe if I wasn't so applied, particularly say at school, wasn't the greatest field for me. So they pushed me into being a secretary. So after working in a couple of dress shops, I eventually ended up in an office and became a secretary and not a particularly good one. You know, I went to typing school twice and I still can't type. It was just not really the best field for me. Since I felt like I was kind of meant for something else, but I was sort of stuck in a an, in a field that or a job that I wasn't so keen of, it really started to take a hit to my self-esteem. So I would make some money for a while, work in a job in an environment that I wasn't so happy about, and then I would just hate it so much mostly hate myself for not doing something better or greater and then I would quit that job and then I would spend all the savings that I had and this was a cycle that I went through for about 10 years I would work in a job absolutely hate it save a little bit of money and then quit that job and be out of work and spend everything that I had made. 10 years of doing this sort of over and over my self-esteem and self-worth was really getting a hammering. Also, I had undiagnosed depression. If I think back about it, I think my first experience of a depression, clinical depression, was about the age of 15 or 16. This is really when I was seeing that I you know, wasn't doing very well at school. And uh, it was a period I'd got glandular fever and then I got really, really depressed. I didn't really understand it at the time, but now looking back on it and certainly going and speaking to cl- clinicians about it, I think this is what was happening. Also, too, I was diagnosed as an adult of having ADD. That is a lot of the problems that, you know, particularly for adults or even children that you can't focus. A lot of irritability, a lot of agitation. And that doesn't really do well when it comes to needing to kind of focus and settle down. So I had a couple of issues that were really stacked against me. Then job to job and being very unfocused and very low self-esteem and low self-worth I got into substance abuse. And it was kind of my way of dulling down the pain that I felt about myself and my situation and how I wasn't really achieving in my life. And I used to compare myself a lot to my family and certainly to my friends that they were getting ahead and getting really achieving stuff in their life. And that just compounded more and more of my own self-loathing in a way and i really used substances as a way to numb out that experience and in that way i just sort of started to spiral out of control and when you're taking a lot of drugs not working very much uh, and income being very infrequent you end up doing things to get drugs in that you can't be very proud of in that period i did a lot of breaking into houses Uh, yeah certainly not proud of it it was excruciating now that I think about it but I just I was kind of desperate and I had to survive I had to eat and then I had to certainly feed this pit inside of me as well that was being used by by drugs basically I hit rock bottom and as I really recall that I can actually just really feel that in my in my chest how painful that was that I had just such terrible feelings for myself and I felt very very low and very worthless and I had hit rock bottom so far that I thought if I don't do something about this I'm I'm off I'm going to be leaving the planet sometime soon so I started to get myself into recovery I started dealing with my drug abuse issues and then more deeply I started to look at my self-esteem issues and through that process, I did many, many, many years of therapy, working with psychiatrists and psychologists and counsellors. I did lots of personal development work. And then ultimately, I started to study the human condition through counselling and psychotherapy. It was something that just, as I started to heal my own wounding, I sort of thought, maybe there's something I can contribute to others in my, from my own recovery. And through this process, I was always kind of captivated with this idea of value or intrinsic value as us as humans, the internal value, such as how we feel worthy or unworthy or unvaluable, as well as intrinsic value as human beings beyond what we do in our jobs or what we contribute to the world. But just that this unique beauty and this miracle, really, of being a human born in in the middle of this crazy universe, as well as value or external value, how the world or more particularly the marketplace views us or judges us or pegs us against a prize. These issues somehow really captivated me as I worked through my healing, my own sense of self-worth. These were kind of sort of the existential ideas that I really happened upon. When I started practicing, I started to look at therapy through the lens of us and money. And through this process, as I work more and more in the field of financial therapy, I see that money is more than just a numbers game. In fact, the way I see this money is as a very tricky relationship that we cannot leave. The only two people in the world that may not have issues with money is the Queen and the Dalai Lama, both of which don't carry money. There's no no need for them to carry money. But for the rest of us, it is often a tricky relationship. As a financial therapist and working with people, I've come to realize money is often more than just numbers and how much is sitting in our bank, but is a projection of all our hopes, our fears, dreams, and certainly our sense of internal deficiencies or psychological deficiencies. And I'm curious on how... Issues of self-esteem and how that can impact the way we manage money. In my book, The Billionaire Border, I talk about money and pain. And, And this is money and pain in relation to money as pain relief, or more particularly, money as pain relief against emotional pain. I also talk about money and power, and probably something that we don't speak enough about, and that is money and shame. How we often have a lot of shame about us and money. I'm also really interested in how we earn and when we have to earn, how might we compromise or give up in order to survive, give up elements of ourselves, our values, our desires, our dreams in order for us to survive and what we have to do to earn and what that earning in the marketplace, how that might define or or contort or change or shift our sense of identity and who we are in the world. And this then leads me to this idea of how we are valued. What we do in the, in the marketplace is often pegged against a price point. I find that fascinating that somehow we internalize this external price point as, as a sense of who we are. I'm also fascinated by the ethics of money. What makes some people more ethical than others? And what is the psychology of both of them? Someone that is ethical around money and someone that's not ethical around money. And what about trauma? How does that affect us and money? Whether we had childhood trauma or more recent trauma. And some of the things that I look at with working with clients is like what I call financial trauma, the loss of a job or being made redundant or your company going bankrupt, your business going bankrupt. It has great impact on our psychological well-being when these events happen to us. Certainly going through a divorce and financial settlements has severe impact on our sense of emotional well-being. I'm very passionate about using psychological terms when we're dealing with money. So financial abuse, economic trauma, financial trauma, financial shock, such as when a big unexpected bill comes in for us and how we feel that. It's a very visceral experience about, oh gosh, how am I going to manage this? And the more I work with clients, I see how emotional landscape has an impact on how we manage or deal with money, such as how we can deal with debt. What happens to us when our credit cards go crazy, when we end up using our credit cards a lot, working with people in divorce. I work with a lot of individuals that are going through divorces and how we work with money and issues of revenge in a way. We can often use money as a form of a weapon against another person. Being left out of a will, quite deliberately, can be seen as a weaponization of money against someone else. How we use money to try and control others, such as financial abuse. And it's great that that word is starting to come out more in the vernacular, that victims of domestic and family violence, and there's issues of financial abuse. We could also say that corporations not paying above the living wage can also be a form of financial abuse. Further on on that, what about financial ethics and values of large institutions? Things like modern slavery. There's a terrifying amount of modern slavery around the world. You know, what's their psychology that they're making those decisions that may harm people in some way? I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And I work with people with many issues. It's not just the maladaptive areas of gambling, of, you know, overt financial risk, or not being able to save, or not being able to budget, or overspend, or under-earn. But I'm also looking at kind of deeper issues, such as where we might feel, say, internally impotent, or deficient in some way psychologically, like we just don't feel like we're impacting in the world in the way that we want, or we're not being seen in a way that we want to be really fully seen. And we might sometimes use money as a way to compensate for that kind of internal or psychological deficiencies. This is something that we may not often think about, but in my work as a financial therapist, I'm often seeing that behind some of the kind of issues of working, wanting to accumulate more can be maybe a compensation for something that we may feel internally. I'm also fascinated about how we sabotage ourselves about money. This one's very much locked into issues of self esteem when we don't feel or we don't have a great sense of self esteem, where we often sabotage ourselves with money, as well as the deeper issues of how what we kind of really compromise ourselves or for want of a better word, prostitute ourselves in order to survive. And that could be that we stay in a relationship longer than we want to because of financial security, or we align ourselves or work for organizations, even though we we don't believe in their values, just so that we continue our pay packet. So you can see that money is actually a bigger conversation. Money is the last taboo, talking about it in a very open and frank way. It's like how we didn't really speak about sex 20 or 30 years ago in a very frank and open way. And money really is that last taboo. We just find it very difficult to talk about it frankly and openly. And I have many theories about why that possibly is. But it has to do very much with how we feel capable or incapable in our ability to survive. And so it's locked up in shame around that too. So my passion for this work around financial therapy, beyond just the accumulation of money, is to have a bigger conversation about us and money. And maybe by doing so, we can build more compassion for ourselves And hopefully by healing some of our own issues with money, we might be in a better position to tackle some of the bigger issues such as profit over people and the planet. So this is the scope of this podcast. We are going to be really journeying into how we can repair this very tricky relationship. You know, it's something that we can either have a good relationship with, we have it in our right place and it's, you know, something that's as a tool um, maybe as a teacher about sense of self-esteem and self-worth but it is a relationship to its core you know some of you might be interested to go and check out my book The Billionaire Buddha for those that live in Australia and want to get the hard copy it's best to get in contact with me you can find a link here on the financial therapy website if you wanted an ebook, of course you can get it at most online book retailers. I truly hoped you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Financial Therapy Podcast as we continue to discuss a bigger conversation with us and money. Also, go to financialtherapy.org for more resources, financial well-being programs, or you can work with me. Just get in touch. And thank you for listening.